Good morning, church. Let us go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father God, there's absolutely nothing here that I bring, but I can only cling to the blood of the cross of Calvary. I ask, Father God, as I speak here, be you and not I. And I also ask, Father God, that you um, just be the one to be heard today. That you prepare our hearts and our minds to be receptive to your message as we look at this topic of a disciple's heart. This is my prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let everyone here say, Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. You know, it's an honor always to be able to come back home and and, and been here. It feels like I haven't been here forever, even though it was just two weeks ago that I was here. Um, but, you know, today's topic is a very interesting one because, you know, I talked to you a couple of months ago. I talked to you about why it is that when Jesus was on the cross, you know, on the cross, sorry, at the end of Matthew, he says, go ye therefore, right? And I asked a question some months back, why therefore do you go? And it's because Jesus says that all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Do you guys remember that? I also share with you back then how when my wife and I were going through our last will and testament, we were very careful of the words that we put there, what we wanted, how we wanted it. And Jesus on the cross, here's what he's, I mean, not at the cross, but after the cross, at the end of Matthew, here's what he's saying. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and what? Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So here's Jesus saying this. I mean, here's at the end of Matthew, his closing words, his last will and testament. He's saying, look, this is what I want. It's very important. Go ye therefore make disciples. In seminary, in Angels University in Michigan, they actually have these verses right up there in the glass. As pastors are going in or pastors in training to get educated, they're knowing that this is the mission of the church, go ye therefore. And so today, we're going to focus briefly on, on the concept of, you know, you can't go and make disciples if you can't because you can't give what you don't have. And so we're going to focus on the disciples' heart. But here's some things about discipleship and how it works. And so here's you have the blueprint. This is from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. Come on now. One cannot transform a world except as, an in, as individuals in the world are transformed. And individuals cannot be changed except as they are molded in the hands of the master. And so this is the idea. This is how discipleship works. This is the concept of discipleship. Discipleship isn't a program or an event. It's a way of life. It is not for a limited time, but for a whole life. Discipleship isn't for beginners alone. It is for all believers for every day of their life. Discipleship isn't just one of the things the church does. It is what the church does. This is how discipleship is supposed to be. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with the rabbinic model. I have to tell you, I enjoy studying the rabbinic model. I'm going to be very general and perhaps even cryptic with a little bit of this. Um, and also for time purposes, we'll, we'll go through this. But later, through fellowship meal, by the way, we're having fellowship meal today and, and, and the deacons are leading out on that. If you want to talk more, you want me to tell you more stories, I can. But here's the things that I learned about the rabbinic model. 
It is a model that children are brought while they're young. They train under someone. You may have remembered Samuel in the scriptures. That he, when he was just at a certain age, they brought him into the, in, into the temple. And he served there. And he was trained there. And he served as long as he lived. The rabbinic model is one that from while they're young, you are training them. Not only that... Um, I don't know how many of you have worked in the corporate world, but in the corporate world where I've been, there's a lot of sharks out there. There's a lot of people who are constantly hoping that their supervisors fall flat on their faces so that they can step into place and, and take over the position. It's, it's quite different. It is quite different than what the Bible teaches. You remember that one time that Moses was praying in the mountain? He had his hands raised up to God, and the Israelites are winning. But as he was getting tired, hands were falling down, and they were losing. So it's like, woo, we're winning. Oh, we're losing. Woo, we're winning. Oh, we're losing. Do you remember that? What happened? His friends, his supporters, his team that were there weren't sitting back watching and saying, guys, you see, he's kind of weak. Maybe I should step up in the shoes of Moses. Look at me. I could hold my hands up all day long. No. Instead, they held his hands up and whoa, we're winning again. They supported the leader. That's how the Bible teaches that leadership ought to be. Now, in the business world where, where I used to be, you know, 80 pounds ago and some time back, in the business world, one of the things that you watch is that people usually, when they try to take over your job, they go right ahead and they start making other problems. Well, I would do things so much different than Joey. I would make sure that I would do X, Y, and Z. Politicians do that. You know, unlike the other guys, I'm going to raise this and cut that and slice this. And, and so we try to do things different. The rabbinical model, however, it was set up in such a way that you imitated and mimic the rabbi completely in all that he did. The student, the relationship between teacher and student, between master and pupil, the relationship was such that they would follow all that they did and try to do every aspect of their life exactly like them. When I was studying this, I read of stories of young rabbis in training who would sneak under the bed of their masters so that as they were performing husbandly duties, they were able to make sure that they were taking notes. They also would watch when they would go in the bathroom so that when they go potty, they can imitate them exactly. I mean, how does that work? Grunt, grunt, push? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't understand. But as you're reading these stories, they went as far as imitating every step of the way. Because that is the rabbinical model. And Jesus understood that. Like all rabbis, he would have had the clear intention that his teaching and mission was to be replicated exactly by his followers. Just as I saw you. That's how it was supposed to be. Teacher-disciple relationships were characterized by the concept of mimets or an imitator. They were bound together by a certain practice of life and instruction. And the student was recognizable in his imitation of the way of life and manner of the teacher. Ben Zira, this is 175 BC, cites the goal of a rabbi is to train his student to such an extent that when his father or teacher discipler dies, it is as though he is not dead, for he leaves behind one like himself. A smooth transition. It doesn't skip a beat. The owner of a company dies, a person that steps up, thinks or goes as busy as usual. And that's the discipleship model, the rabbinical model of discipleship. And so here's what Jesus did. Jesus did it, and the disciples watched. Jesus did it, the disciples helped. The disciples did it, Jesus encouraged them. The disciples did it, Jesus left. 
Those of you who are here at the board who served my very first year, you remember the very first board, I asked my board members, I want you to start working on training your replacements. Not that I want you to quit your job or not do your job, but if we're not making disciples, then we're not abiding by Jesus' last wishes. We're not doing what he asked us to do. And so we need to teach, demonstrate, replicate. Teach, demonstrate, replicate. Because you see, you can't go make disciples unless you know how to be a disciple. And that's very crucial. We need to make this part of our every single day life. So mad, you know, my, my, my kids in New Jersey, they used to love coming up with acronyms. And they used to say, you know, before you go mad, before you go make a disciple, you have to be bad. You got to be a disciple. So you got to be bad, then you got to go mad, you know. And that's the idea. You got to be a disciple so you can make a disciple. Now, let me tell you what happens. I'll share a story, and I put a cute puppy in there. I was going to put a sad one, but then I said not to put a sad one and put a cartoon one. But there's a story that I read of a gentleman who went to the pound, got a dog, a nice big, bat, big, big black Labrador retriever, wonderful, pretty dog. And, and so he got the dog, and um, as they brought him home, they were with him. And on a Sunday morning, he's opening the newspaper. And as the rustle of the pages, uh, the noise that it makes while it was turning, the dog just went and hid in the corner. He was whimpering and urinated. And, and so what they realized that at one point, that dog must have been abused to such an extent, grabbed the newspaper, hit the dog to such an extent that even just hearing the rustling of the pages being turned, it made the dog just run scared to the corner and cringe and urinate and whimper and fear and shake. And the same thing has happened to us, just as that dog has been scarred. Whenever we see words like obedience and legalism and sanctification and works and laws, we as, as people, we cringe. Like, oh, there he goes again. Ooh, I don't want to hear that. And we have been so broken and we have been so traumatized by these things. But it's because we have a poor understanding of what this is all about. And so if we're going to develop a disciple's heart, there's going to be three things that we need to understand. Number one, we need to understand that God is my friend and he loves me unconditionally just as I am. Do you know that he is your friend? Do you know that he loves you just as you are? The second thing, this is from two weeks ago's message, do you understand that you have the assurance of salvation? Do you understand that salvation is right there available to you? And number three, do you realize that everything that you need, everything that you need to live the life of a child of God, the life of a Christian, 100% of it comes from God. It is a gift of God. You don't need to buy it. You don't need to earn it. You don't need to do penance for it. It is his gift. All that you need is in God alone. Yes? No? Maybe? Amen? Ouch? Okay, I just want to make sure that you understand this because we, we say things sometimes, but then we don't get it. You know, I, I used to do that. When I was a kid, man... Um, <laughs> 80 pounds ago, too, I, I, I used to dive, and, and, and when you dive from, from the trampolines, you know, there's one thing to see, and oh, yeah, I'm going to go up there. And I don't know if you ever had this conversation with you, but I remember, man, early on, like, I'm going to do it. No, no, I'm going to do it. And then you say with your mind, yeah, and then you change your mind last minute, and, and you don't do it. Saying it and living it and experiencing it, believing it is totally different than just verbalizing it. So understand this truth. He is your friend and he loves you unconditionally. You have the assurance of salvation and all that you need, it is 100% a gift from God. Are we clear? 
Now, here's the priorities of Jesus. Here's, here's what Jesus did, and he's a great model. The very first thing was cultivating a relationship with his father. We got a chance to see this in Jesus' life. He's Jesus. He's the son of God, and yet he spent a lot of time with his father. Here's some Bible verses of things that he did in addition to that and how he did that. Mark 14, 23, Luke 6, 12 through 13, and Luke 9, 28. Here's Mark 14, 23. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he he gave it to them and they all drank from it. Following the discipleship model, not only is Jesus being grateful for the things that he has, for the food on his table and for the drink, but he's hanging out with his disciples. You know, I have friends that call me a fatty because I love eating, right? You know, it's like, oh, you're such a fatty. Well, God is a fatty too. I mean, have you ever looked at the scripture? Every covenant, there's food involved. Every single time when the commandment, there was food. Every single covenant, there's food. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you let me in, I'm going to come in. I'm going to dine with you and you with me. And here's Jesus in the supper. Here he is. Take up the cup. He's eating and mingling with them. You know, when we do the fellowship meals here, every so often, come out and join us. Hang out. Get to know each other. Don't just sit next to each other quietly for an hour while somebody speaks and then that's it. No, no, no. Come out and mingle. Get to know each other. Talk to each other. That's what's called fellowship meal, where you get to come and hang out. Jesus ate together with his people. This is a wonderful thing. Some of you have invited me to your homes and I have eaten with you there. It is great. It has been amazing. You want to do that. You want to mingle. You want to hang. Luke 6, 12 through 13. Now it came to pass in those days that when he went out to the mountain to do what? To pray. And he continued how long? All night in prayer with God. Look what he did. He went up to pray. He continued all night to pray. And then what did he do next? Verse 13. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. And from then he chose 12, whom him also named apostles. Do you pray before every decision that you make? Do you go and spend all night in prayer with God before you pick and choose? You know, let me tell you this. I've been doing marriage counseling for 18 and a half years. And I wish that the majority of my people that I've counseled with would have prayed before choosing that one. And I get it. Sometimes their self-esteem is such as an extent, well, she smiled at me, so I guess she's the one. No, there's more than that. There, you know, he, he buys me things, so I guess he is the one. There has to be much more than that. Have you wrestled and prayed before have you chosen a mate for the rest of your life? Christ prayed before choosing the disciples. He went up to pray. He spent all night in prayer. And yet all of us here think that we could just go based on five minutes of prayer here on Saturday, and God forbid that the pastor or, or the elder takes too long in prayer. Oh, 10 minutes? Come on, elder. Hurry up. Stop. And yet we don't pray a whole lot at home either. Are we better than Christ, who spent continual time in prayer with the Father? Luke 9, 28. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James, and he went up on the mountain to pray. It is not only great to be able to pray alone and spend time with God, but it's also great to be able to take people with you 
and pray with God. You know, some leadership guys call this the inner circle of Jesus, Peter, James, and John. But, you know, that aside, regardless of what you call it, I love this. You heard those cliches, a family that prays together, stays together. And yet, when was the last time you had worship in your home? When was the last time that you really prayed with your family? When was the last time that you actually talked to each other rather than texting each other from, from, from the other side of the, of the table? I mean, understand there, this is crucial to fellowship and to worship the Lord together. If you're here with your family, praise God. If your family's aware and you're here alone, we will continue to pray for you and them because we need to be together as a family of worship. So here you have the priorities of Jesus, relationship with his father, prayer, relationship with the disciples. And then also when that happens, you get to experience really what the character of God is. You know, my children will tell you right now, I make it a goal and I pray that I never break this. They will tell you that daddy never breaks a promise. I make sure that every promise that I make my children, that I keep them. And I pray that I never fall into a place where I do break a promise to them. There has been many times in their life that they want to do nothing or they don't want to do something. And I tell them, come on, it's okay. I took them, they, they were off school the other day, and I took them zip lining, and, and they were a little bit nervous. It's okay, trust me, everything will be fine. Remember, I promise you, you're going to be okay. If you could hold daddy... 80 pounds later, it could certainly hold you. You're going to be just fine. And, and so I have that. They know who I am. They trust in me. And even though they're petrified 20, 30 feet off the ground, because daddy said it would be okay, they took a leap of faith because they knew daddy's character. And they knew that daddy told them wasn't going to lie. So imagine how it is when you really experience the character of God. When you really know. Problem is that the devil has done a good job at giving us a bad perspective of God in heaven. And that perspective of God, we carry it with us everywhere, and it affects our lives and all that we do. But when you experience God, the effect in your life will be positive, and it will be amazing. And so here's a couple of questions for you. When you pray to God, when you spend time with God, has God become to you someone who is a friend, Someone that you enjoy spending time with? Or is he someone that you just go to when you need something? In other words, can God be replaced with a miracle doctor and an ATM? And is that the only time you talk to him? Is he more than just money and healing? Is there more to that? Is he your friend? Come on now, you can't say amen. Say ouch. I want you to think about that. What is it that Jesus is saying to you? How is he leading you in your life? Galatians 2.20, it says, For I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who, I love, who loved me and gave himself for me. The life that you live, is it in faith for the Son of God? Come on now. Colossians 2, 6, 7. As you therefore receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Many of us walk with God and try to walk with him, but it's not with thanksgiving. And so, come on now. So here's the spirit of prophecy, some words on that. Education, culture, the exercise of the will, human effort, all have, power, all have their proper sphere. But here, they are powerless. They may produce an outward correctness of behavior, but they cannot change the heart. They cannot purify the springs of life. There must be a power working from within, a new life from above, before men can be changed from sin to holiness. The power, that power is who? Christ. 
His grace alone can quicken the lifeless faculties of the soul and attract it to God, to holiness. Then we shall know that our own righteousness is indeed as filthy rags and that the blood of Christ alone can cleanse us from the defilement of sin and renew our hearts in his own likeness. Many are inquiring, how am I to make surrender of myself to God? You desire to give yourself to him, but you are weak in moral power, in slavery to doubt, and controlled by the habits of your life of sin. You cannot control your thoughts, your impulses, your affections. You cannot change your heart. You cannot of yourself give to God its affections, but you can choose to serve him. You can give him your will. He will then work in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Thus your whole nature will be brought under the control of the Spirit of Christ. Your affections will be centered upon him. Your thoughts will be in harmony with him. This work, this is sanctification, can be accomplished only through faith in Christ by the power of the indwelling Spirit of God. Now, that's from the Spirit of Prophecy, but look what the Word of God says. John 15, verses 4 and 5. Abide in me and I in you, as the branches cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you could still do some things. What does it say on there? Without me, you can do absolutely nothing. See, this is the whole thing. One of the reasons why my wife and I, we keep us in prayer, by the way. Um, it looks like we're towards the end of the adoption process with my niece. And so we're almost there. We're working on that. We sat through like this five-hour thing yesterday, and they gave us like hundreds of questions. And they were trying to find out the mental stability of parents, you know, uh, like, 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 where are you? Do you find yourself being, you know, um, being more depressed now than before? Do you find yourself eating less or more than before? Do you find yourself wanting to be around people less than before? And I said to my wife, I never want to be around people. I mean, I've always been like this. It wasn't more than before. I mean, you know, it's one of those struggles. I mean, you, I would just want peace and quiet. I mean, for my birthday and Father's Day, those two days a year, my wife would tell you, I, I sit in my room all day and do absolutely nothing. The kids come in early. They, they bring me, they give me kisses and give me their gifts. My wife bring me all of the meals and I just sit there and do nothing. Phones off, everything shut off, just, just, just nothing. You know, it's just, just need that. I mean, I struggle with people. I hate going on vacation when everybody else vacations. I hate going to parks and places when it's all crowded. I mean, I love Tallahassee. Your rush hour delays me five minutes, which is phenomenal. I go to other places and there's just people and people. It's a struggle. And you know what? I like, I like most people. There's some other ones in here, you know, and, and there's a struggle. But this is our challenge. How can we disciple people if we're not rubbing elbows with people, if we can't mingle with people, if we struggle with people because we need a heart transplant? And I can't do it on myself. Try as I may to like you. I can't unless Christ is in me, unless he's working in me because without him, I can't do what? Nothing. 
nothing. And so he sums it up in two things. Jesus says, love God and love your neighbor. He says, love God and love your neighbor. And look what Paul says in Romans 13, 10. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So if you want to know how is it that I won't cheat on my wife if I love her, how I won't steal from you if I love you, how I won't kill you if I love you, how I won't steal from you if I love you, how I will honor my mama and my papa if I love you. Love really is the answer to everything. And if I love God, how can I love his, the rest of his children, my brothers and my sisters? Love really is the key. Those big religious words such as perfection, sanctification, holiness, and righteousness, all boiling down to love. This is from Spiritual Bodybuilding, page 98. There you go. All right. John 17, 20 to 23. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Verse 21, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Okay, I don't know if batteries are dying or what. Okay, there you go. Verse 22. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Verse 23. I and them and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me. And I have loved them even as you have loved me. You want to know why this church right now is not flooded with people? You want to know why this church doesn't have a lot of people just lining up to come early in the morning, etc.? You want to know why? Because right now... You guys are a hot mess. Churches, and you know, not necessarily Tallahassee first, but you know, this is my church, so I'm talking to you guys here, but we can really get along with each other and have a meal with each other. People outside see that. Man, you guys don't get along. Why would I want to be part of that drama? Why would I want to be part of that family? I don't see the love. I don't see the nature. You know, when, 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 when the nurture, I, I, I don't see that. And that's why Jesus prayed this. He knew that this was going to be an issue. Look, I need you guys to be one just as the Father and I am one so that the world, when they look and says, wow, I don't know what it is, but whatever that is, I want it. We get to show them what that is. Here it is on uh, manu- manuscript release, uh, volume 12, page 251. Said the angel, press together, press together, press together, press together, ye shepherds, lest the sheep be scattered. Love one another as I have loved you. Swim, swim, swim. Plunge deep, deep, deep in the ocean of God's love. Amen. There's a lot of repetition there for, for, for stress. But you see it here, right from the spirit of prophecy, how we need to plunge deep into God's love. And when you are immersed with God's love, it's like jumping in a pool and expecting to come out dry. Sure, I jumped in the pool and not a drop touched me. No, no. When you plunge and you go deep, deep, you're going to come out soaking wet. When you plunge deep into the love of God, you're going to come out like, like a big ball of love. Just, just some, some of us rounder than others, but you're going to be still full of love. And look what happens here, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Ephesians 2, 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Jeremiah 31, 33 to 34. 
This is also quoted uh, in, in Hebrews chapter 8 and Hebrews chapter 10. But here's what it says. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write them in their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No, no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquities and their sin I will remember no more. I love this verse here because you see, it is no longer, we were talking in Sabbath school class this morning. By the way, we have a collegiate Sabbath school class for those of you who didn't know, right there in the fellowship hall. We'd love to have you join us. Uh, but we were talking about in the Sabbath school class this morning about um, when the Cats away, how the mice will play, that, that concept, how, how when you're a manager of, of a business or whatever, if the boss is not around, you might do certain things that you, you, you could sort of get away with. Well, you know, this is a struggle. When we keep commandments and laws simply to keep them and simply because we are afraid of the consequences but not because we are afraid of the act itself, we will still go out there doing these things whenever we think we could get away with them because we have not been changed. But yet, when we allow God to, to, to put them in their minds and to write them in our hearts, then guess what? I don't lie. Not, not because the Bible says thou shalt not lie. I'm just not a liar. And so on and so on and so on. It's because it's no longer who I am because his character is in me. And notice what it says here. No longer shall every man teach his neighbor, telling them, speaking, know the Lord, nor the Lord. But they will know them from the least to the greatest because when they see you, they will see a bit of the Lord. Because when they see you, they will see the love of the Lord. This is the disciples' heart. Second Corinthians 3.18, But we all with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. All true obedience comes from the heart. It was heart work with Christ, and if we consent, He will blend our hearts and minds into conformity to His will, that when obeying Him, we shall be but carrying out our own impulses. That's rough, because my impulses is something else. The will refined and sanctified will find its highest delight in doing His service. When we know God as it is our privilege to know Him, our life will be a life of continual obedience through an appreciation of the character of Christ, through communion with God. Sin will become hateful to us. Sin will become hateful to us. You know, um, I don't know how many of you here have had the chance to visit places. You know, Tallahassee, it's whatever, but... Unless you're driving by the college town, then you got a whole bunch of crazies over there. But, but you know, by, by, by near the university, you guys drive horrible there. But, but, but in general, Tallahassee's fine. It's chill. Have you ever been to New York? You know, it's like people are, are getting money for every person they hit. You know, they're, they're trying to catch you every time. And, and you're playing dodge a car as you're trying to just cross the street. And, and, and so that's usually how it is over there. And I remember my wife and I, you know, because, you know, Jersey, Philly, New York, all of those areas, you get this in, in the cities. And, you know, with our children, as I'm crossing the street, you know, come here, hold my hand. And, and let me ask you, who is the person that is doing the holding here? Is my child really holding my hand or am I really holding my child's hand? I'm holding, I'm holding my child's hand, right? And you see, this is the whole thing. Right now, we are in a world out here that it is scary. 
We are in a world out here that has gotten really bad. I believe wholeheartedly now more than ever, we are seeing the end times being fulfilled. Prophecy is coming alive as we speak. I see that revelation. You know, we did that series a year ago already. And, and you know, you saw that all happening leading up unto the coming of Christ. And things are going to get a little bit worse. In the midst of all of that, in the midst of all of that, dealing with people, discipling people, loving people, caring for people is also very scary. So you got the scary people over here and the scary happenings of the world. And then God says, that's where you got to go and you got to do your thing. And I dare not go without making sure that I'm holding on to my heavenly father. But I also need to recognize that it is not my strength and my ability to hold on to him, but it is him holding me. Are you crying out to God and saying, Papa, carry me through this? Saying, Papa, deliver me from this? Saying, Papa, give me the strength to do this? Saying, Papa, instead of change that person who is unlovable, change my heart to love him in spite of themselves. Are you saying, Papa, I am here. And when you allow God to hold on to you, look what the word of God says. My father has given them to me and is greater than all. And no one is able to what? Snatch them out of my father's hand. No one is able to take you away from God. The problem that we have is that we go out there by our own power and our might, and when we realize we can't handle it, we run back to daddy. Imagine if we went out there to begin with, with papa holding onto our hands. And when my father holds you, no one can snatch you away from him. But let us keep our eyes fixed upon Christ, and he will preserve us. Looking unto Jesus, we are safe. Nothing can pluck us out of his hands. If you will leave yourself in his hands, he will bring you up more than a conqueror through him that has loved you. So that addiction, that thing that you're struggling with, Papa, take this out of my hands. Papa, help me with this. Whether or not you're struggling to to be a disciple or you're struggling to make disciples you need to go to papa and let him hold on to you he's the one that will take care of you here's the conclusions from today in case you were daydreaming a little bit and the heat puts me to sleep so i don't blame you but look what it says number one christianity without discipleship is always christianity without christ in your life as a christian you are being a disciple and making disciples If one of those two aspects aren't happening, then you are incomplete. You are both following Christ and leading others to Christ. You are both listening to what the Father does and telling people all about it. If you're not doing one of those two things, you are a crippled Christian. This is Christianity without Christ. Number two, before you can go mad, you got to be bad. You can't go make disciples if you can't give you what you don't have. If you yourself don't pray, tell me, don't tell me to pray. If you yourself don't read the word of God, don't tell me to read the word of God. If you yourself are pointing out faults in my life and haven't addressed all of the issues in your life, we're having an issue. Before you go mad, you got to be bad. And you must teach, demonstrate, and replicate. This is very crucial. Number four. Everything, everything you need in your walk as a Christian, 50% of it comes from God. 100% comes from God alone, and it is a gift of God. And lastly, the sooner you realize this, the sooner you can allow God to do what he does best. Through the Holy Spirit, he can begin to create in you a new creature. He can begin to transform you. Sabbath school this morning with the collegiates, my brother Frank shared a little bit of a testimony. And someday, maybe I'll have you stand up here and share with us how God has brought you this far, Frank. But I will tell you this. 
When I think of Frank, myself, and others who I met here that I know your story, my God is an amazing God. And really and truly, when you let him in your heart, changes and transformation can happen that no one can imagine, that no one can fathom. When I went to Puerto Rico a couple of weeks ago to, to reveal my dad's house and we were there helping different families, do you know what the whole family kept saying? I can't believe that this is Joey. My nickname was Hijo del Diablo, Child of the Devil. That's why, I mean, oh, there comes the Hijo del Diablo. You know, there he comes again. Because, I mean, I used to be savage. And yet when they say, wait, he turned out to be the pastor? And then the quiet one is the my, my older brother kind of left from the church. But they're just still shocked. God is just an amazing man. And the sooner you realize that and let him in, transformation will happen within. And it will come out from your heart. So I want to encourage all of you to go be disciples and make disciples. This is Christ's last will and testament. Go ye therefore. And why therefore do you go? Because all authority has been given to him in heaven and in earth. Let us pray. Father God, we love you and we thank you because you are truly an amazing God. And Lord, this is something that sounds very pretty. This is something that sounds great. You give us everything, and all we need is a gift from you, 100%. But yet, to put it into practice is so difficult. So, Lord, I like to pray like that father whose child was ill. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I want to love even those unlovable people. Help me love a little bit more. Lord, I want to care for my brothers and sisters. Help me care a little bit more. Lord, I mean, trying, but help me in giving the strength. Lord, I really don't want to walk in your ways, but I kind of feel like I should. Maybe it's out of guilt or because what Joey just said, but, but Lord, just give me the strength. Give me the desire. Transform your will into mine. May your will be done and not mine. Father God, come into our lives and do what you do best. You are a God of transformation, restoration. You are a God that, you know, can even create in me a brand new heart. Bless me and keep me. Bless us and keep us. So that between now and the time that you come again, we can go out there and carry out your desires. That we go out there and make disciples of all nations. Not just exclusive. Not a private club. Not a social club. But all nations. Teaching them and baptizing them and educating them and creating a meet and greet between you and them so that they can too walk in your ways and they too can replicate. May you bless us and keep us right now. It is my prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let everyone here say, Amen.